0: So, good evening, everybody. Uh, well, it's indeed a moment of uh, great pleasure and privilege for me to welcome you all for this, uh, for this very special session, which has been curated by Picky Arise. It's a great uh, honor and privilege to have uh, Mr. Sandeep Dutt, uh, author of uh, uh, My uh, Good School with us. And uh, to initiate the session, uh, we have uh, with us uh, uh, Mr. Sishar Jaipuria who is the uh, co-chairman of FIKI Arise, and I'll request him to deliver these welcome remarks. But just before I hand it over to him, just a couple of lines uh, about him. And Though he doesn't need any introduction, but uh, I'll just read a few lines about him. Mr. Jaipuria is the chairman of uh, SAIT Anandram Jaipuria Education Society that runs a large number of educational institutions in the space of uh, preschool, K-12 and higher education. He is also the Chairman and Managing Director of uh, Guinea Filaments Limited, a leading producer of yarn, fabric, garment and technical textiles. Mr. Jaipuriya has been an active member of FICCI Executive Committee and a mentor to our initiatives in the space of education. As I mentioned, he is currently the Co-Chair of FICCI Arise. Over to you, sir.
1: A very good evening to one and all. I welcome everybody at the FICCI Arise fireside chat on the book, My Good School. We are delighted to have with us today Mr. Sandeep Dutta, the very author of this book, who would be sharing his rich experience and insights on the making of a good school. Sandeep is a school coach, runner, mountaineer, and school and social entrepreneur. His work for the International Award for Young People has been widely acknowledged all over the world. He is also the founder of the Learning Forward India. With over 30 years of experience, he has empowered thousands of teachers and touched the lives of a near million children. We also have with us today, Mr. Dilip Snoy, Secretary General Fikki. Before joining Fikki, Dilip served as managing director and CEO of the National Skill Development Corporation NSDC. Currently, he is on the Board of Governors of IILM, New Delhi, a business school, as well as on the Board of Studies of All India Management Association. Besides serving as the Director General of ICC India and of the Indian Council of Arbitration, he advises startups, including organizations in the space of digital, education, skill development, and livelihood. Friends, Federation of Indian Chamber of Commerce and Industry has been very active for over a decade in the education space, namely higher education, vocational training, and school education, and is the first non-governmental organization to suggest research-based policy reforms to the government. Recognizing the significant role of the private unaided K12 schools in shaping India's primary and secondary education Picky Arise which stands for the alliance for reimagining school education has been active for over 4 years The primary focus of this alliance is policy advocacy defining norms for standards and transparency advocating 21st century readiness and facilitating capacity building. Our motto at VIKI Arise is student first and no child is left behind. One of our main objectives is to be a catalyst in the public-private effort and to engage meaningfully with regulators and policymakers, both at the central and state government level. Our aim is to build a platform for bringing together stakeholders from across the country and strive for a collective action with the realm of school education. With the exponential growth in technology and the advent of the fourth industrial revolution, the future of work is rapidly changing. Educators will have to constantly engage in realigning the education system to meet the needs of the changing demands. The school management along with the teachers have to understand the purpose of education, be passionate, as well as appreciate that each child has to be given personalized learning. Students have to experience the joy of learning and they should be encouraged for being lifelong learners and exposed to 21st century skills like creativity, critical thinking, problem-solving, etc. It is imperative that the students are adept in interpersonal skills, namely leadership, social influence, emotional independence, as well as they are digitally literate. I am sure that this book, My Good School, had addressed all these issues that gives parents an opportunity to navigate through various types of schools and find the best that suits their child. With this, I congratulate Mr. Sandeep Dutt on his great piece of work. I now request Dilip to share his valuable views and inputs and insights and have and carry the forward discussion. Thank you, Dilip. Over to you. Thank you, Mr.
2: Jayapuria for the welcome remarks and welcome, uh, Sandeep that uh, to this interaction on your book, The Good School. I Thank think, you, uh, you know, it's, it's a very timely uh, book because we have the recently announced uh, national or new education policy of 2020, which looks at creating a totally different environment uh, for education uh, going forward. And at this point of time, uh, all of us in the country actually, who are involved in this space are working at taking the policy into execution and having an execution uh, roadmap. I believe that, uh, you know, your book, uh, My book, School, and I think it is it is very aptly described as a book uh, for anyone and everyone associated with schools and schooling. Uh, you know, for parents, you actually have a whole section on how to select a school in, in cities like Delhi, where, uh, You know, it's literally a lottery uh, system. It may not be applicable, but I'm sure in many parts of the country, uh, this would be applicable. Um, Been quite fascinated with uh, uh, much of what you have written. Uh, I've had the opportunity of actually reading uh, the book before this uh, conversation. Um, Needless to say that, you know, your your core thing is that buildings don't make uh, institutions. Uh, It's more than that. you know, I don't know, Mr. Jaipuri, if you read the book, uh, you might have uh, not taken to heart his uh, particular comment that, you know, when people have money, they say we want to build a school and they end up building it. And then he actually talks in his book that, you know, that's not what a school is all about. And therefore, I'm going to go through a kind of a chat with him uh, to say what uh, the school is all about. So, um You know, the book, uh, as we will hear, uh, you know, and as Mr. Jaipuria introduced him, a school coach, bookseller, runner, mountaineer, social entrepreneur, uh, over 30 years of experience. I've had the good fortune of knowing him uh, prior to Picky, also, and um, in fact, uh, even visiting home and having a good cup of tea uh, with him. Uh, So it's good to have you on this platform, and in the interest of time, I would quickly go into the um, uh, questions, but uh, before we go into the discussion, uh, Sandeep, if there's anything you would like to share before uh, the discussions, may I invite you for a brief uh, remarks and then we'll jump into the Q&A session. Uh,
3: Thank you, Jaipuria sir, thank you Dilip, thank you everyone at FIKI. And what you actually talk about in FIKI Arise is perhaps what My Good School is about. And we talk of aligning and reimagining stakeholders. That's what makes a school. A school is nothing. It's just a relationship between stakeholders. And whole focus of the book and our writing is not on infra, infra. When I talk of bricks and models, like Dilip categorically said, I'm not against that. You shouldn't construct a school, but school has to have a heart and a soul. And that heart and soul only comes with the relationship of stakeholders. So My Good School is basically a relationship with teachers at the epicenter and teachers building bonds with students, with parents and the management. So if we have stronger relationships, we'll have a better school. What is a school? School is a space where you move from your personal self to a social self. And who helps you transition? Your teachers. So it's as simple as that. If we can keep it as simple, we will be able to spread the joy of learning, and that's what my good school is about.
2: So I presume now you want to go into a Q and A Q&A, uh, session. So taking off from where you left, you know, uh, and I was quite fascinated uh, by your teachers' story. You devote uh, a lot of, uh, you know, I think three sections. your book and many different times in your book you talk about uh, teachers and in one of your chapters teachers travel with you all your life Uh, you have actually written life uh, learning is a lifelong process which you just now mentioned and it is uh, vital that we have the best uh, teacher accompany us on our journey of life right what according to you right and you know how do you actually talk about what makes a great teacher and what is it? And you, you talk about uh, that you feel that needs to be done to give them the due respect and recognition that they deserve as contributors to nation building. You know, I had a vice principal in our school, Mr. N. R. K. Murthy, who uh, used to say that uh, you know teachers uh, uh, are you know are valued but are paid less, and you know we we take less because we don't want to monetize our profession right that was his view and this was in the uh, 70s early 70s so what uh, you know what is it that you feel can be done to actually uh, take this model that you built let's say in in bali in rajasthan and you know universalize it
3: yeah it's very simple uh, teachers perhaps are lifelong learners and after teachers students follow them as lifelong learners so we are I am of a firm belief that schooling is for life. So I said every day, if you say I passed out of school, you'd never pass out of school. At the behest of repeating this, you pass out only once in life. So learn, you have to be a lifelong learner. And that's what a teacher essentially is. So teachers happiness lies in sharing the joy of learning. And that happens when the teachers experience reading, writing and research throughout their lives. So when we work with teachers very extensively, our focus is on teachers doing the reading, writing and research with the children follow. You so rightfully said that teaching is perhaps the most undervalued profession in the world. But let us not forget there is a teacher in the mother, there is a teacher in the father, there is a teacher in the peers also. So it's not really fair sometimes when we only look at the transacting teacher as a processor of learning. The learning happens from all around. It happens with all the stakeholders. So when we are talking of teacher, we are actually talking of all the people around you. That's exactly what we are saying, that a child has to learn in the experiential mode. So a child will learn with everyone around in the ecosystem. And normally our definition of a teacher restricts the learning cycle. So, that's where we need to figure out how we can improve the learning cycle by actually helping the child connect with all the stakeholders. And that's exactly why we talk of My Good School as a child learning from the teacher, from the parent, from the management, and from everyone around. And that's where the school happens. Dilip, you so beautifully said that this perhaps happens more in a residential school. So, what we've really done this time around, we have taken a day school and translated the positive elements of a residential school to be used in a day school and that's exactly what you find when you travel all over the world. You go to Finland, you go to America, you go to Singapore. I practically travel to schools across the world and I found two things common across the world. One, the happiness of teachers does not just lie in a transaction of payment to the teachers and second, children learn from everyone around them. So when you look at these two things which are universal they help you answer so many of those questions you have asked me over to you dilip
2: take that one step further and you know i like your idea of a residential boarding school because the school that i went to had a residential component but we also had a boarding uh, boarding component but the things were common and i i want to take you back uh, to your four s's that you mentioned you know service, sport, you know, the four S's, I'll, I'll ask you to expand on them, but, you know, how do you actually believe that it's important uh, and how can we take that in areas uh, where uh, there is no infrastructure, you know, uh, you, know you, you talked about replicating this, uh, for example, in NSDC, we had uh, Somil uh, from Bangalore actually converting a small internal classroom into a, into a sporting uh, arena. So, how do you think that we should actually extend this concept of four S's uh, to the uh, to schools? And second, related to your earlier question on teachers, sorry, I'm asking you to no, You no actually, problem. you talk about the parents, parents having a greater role also in, uh, not only the teacher being the teacher for the, uh, the student. So, first, if you can just say that what do parents need to do to facilitate the teacher at home and second, come to the four S's.
3: Uh, thank you Dilip. I'm glad you started talking about the four S's. Because if you look at this very simply, I, I, you know, what happens sometimes in a jargonistic era of schools and pedagogy and all kinds of uh, things we read about, we forget the basics. Why does a child go to school? And what does the child do the first thing when the child goes to school? The first thing a child does, a child learns how to give. You move from your personal space to your social space. In your personal space, your parents and your small community gives you everything you want. But the first thing you learn when you go to school is you share your pencil, you share your rubber, you share your tiffin box. That's the first thing you learn. So first thing, learning, giving is service. Then when you grow up in school, you also get skills. You learn art, you, you need music, and that's the whole idea of picking up skills. Yes, the school also helps you become fit you so rightfully mentioned that in a classroom you can actually have skills, and last but the not not the least, you also study. You know, referring to a very interesting thing when you mentioned about NSDC, what struck me: the first sector skill council in the world NSDC should have made. They should have made a teacher sector skill council. We we you know we just got into making so many skill councils and using skilling as India's forte, but we forgot that perhaps we need to look at the sector skill council for skilling which I'm glad to a large extent is today addressed in the new education policy because only when teachers skill improve things will happen. Now, regarding parents, you know, parents are your first teachers, parents are your last teachers. First, a child emulates a parent, you know, the other day a parent asked me that a child is always on the mobile phone, I said I'm not going to tell you to take the mobile phone away, I'm simply going to say is have patience first. Second. I'm going to recommend one very simple thing to you. Please look into the mirror and answer, whom is the child emulating? So a child learns more through emulation than by design. And this emulation is the key for every parent to understand. So you know, parents, today's children are lacking role models. Today's youngsters are lacking mentors. So if you look at the cycle of learning, it is hamstrung by teaching on one hand and mentorship on the other hand. If we can address these true at the personal level and the social level, we will be able to address the quality of schooling in a large way. Yeah, yes, Diluc. Thank you,
2: uh, thank you uh, for that. Now let's let's get into uh, some of, since most of the Pekhi members, including Mr. Jaipuri are leaders, right? How do leaders of schools actually impact the journey or destiny of a school yourself have been the chairman and yourself have been leading the school what would be your message to the leaders in fact uh, you know in, in one case you defined a very nice way of defining the principle so i'll be very uh, grateful if you can share that with the uh, listeners here but what is it in terms of leadership that you would suggest that uh, people who have the money to build the building and employ the people actually turn out to be a good school
3: yeah fantastic i was waiting for this question you know you actually don't need infrastructure to build learning and we have established in the last 10 years we have perhaps gone to everywhere in the world where we have said that your learning forward does not require any kind of formal structured workshop and coaching methodology. So, learning forward essentially has to be a curriculum which is tailor made for a unique situation. Now, very interesting thing when I meet people from across the world and with good members of FICI who are doing very good work. What I find, whether the members of Wiki or at the government school or at a private school, what makes a difference is the curriculum the school adopts. And so often, every time, I have to explain that curriculum is not CBSC. Curriculum is not your affiliation or the assessment body you're connected with. Curriculum is the how you make for the child. Curriculum is what the child follows when the learning cycle happens in the school. Curriculum has to be tailor-made. So, my good school really categorically says that every child's experience in life is absolutely unique. No two children have the same school experience. Now, if I was to look back at my school experience or your school experience, we may find in common is what? One, a happy teacher who's held our hand. Second, what we did outside the classroom which we enjoyed. So, if you look at happy teachers and if you look at your good school, it's experience that you carry forward, you don't carry forward your content, and to make a great experience, your teacher largely plays the role as the catalyst. And as the teacher holds your hand through situations, you improve. Over to you, I
2: want you to explain that a bit uh, more, because in your book, you very, in one one place, you very clearly put different types of, uh, you know, uh, school certification boards, and you, know, you distinguish between curriculum and uh, board right and said what their offer and how a parent could use, to use it as a guide to place the student but now you have introduced a new element about the curriculum right so in in the in you know how do you suggest that schools and teachers and leaders of schools balance the need to complete let's say the course uh, between certain uh, between a certain time and to focus on curriculum uh, especially
3: if it's a curtailed school time, so yeah, how do you actually enable that to happen? Yeah, beautiful. So I will give you an example of a school where we have actually made this live. So let me say this way: in a school, what we saw that every child is a ten on ten. So every child is a complete child. That's the first thing. Some children may be good in service, some may be good in skills, some may be good in sport, and yes, some will also study. So school has to actually offer enough of clubs, societies, and options for a child to participate in. If you look at the last 30 years, a large number of things which boarding schools used to do are now being done in day schools. And school days in schools are getting longer. So what we recommend how to structure it, we, which we have done in at least a few dozen schools we have worked with. One day in the week, we call it a no-bag day. Some state governments are also now trying to do that where children come on a Saturday to a school and they do only service, skill and sport. So what this does is that on the other five days the focus may not be on these S's but on that one day when the focus is on one of the S's of the child which the child really likes, it makes all the difference to the child's life. Child has that one day in the week to look forward to and that carries the child happily throughout the week. And when the child is happy the child will participate better in the academic cycle and help you catch up with the syllabus. Yes a small tweak about increasing a classroom time by 5-10 minutes in a normal working day always creates more space for you for that free day in the week. But most important, you only don't need just free day for children. You also need a free day for the teachers. So what we do normally when we go to schools is we say that take out three to four days in a month. Let one day only teachers come to school and do their reading, writing and research. And the other two, three days, let the children come to school and do what they really love doing. Because that's what life is all about. Once you find out what you love doing, it makes learning and the joy of learning very, very simple and easily adaptable and approachable.
2: Thank you. I I I I agree with most of what you say. I only have one difference, and you did not address it here. I believe that uh, I am a very strong believer that there should be compulsory sport every day because fitness actually comes out, uh, you know, from that every day. But I'm not going to get into that uh, discussion. That's not the idea of of this. But, you know, you you talked about, uh, uh, you know, going back and learning. So you've you've talked about Tagore's philosophy in education and the strong relationship it has with society and just now you answered the service uh, kind of a question. Do you think in the complexities uh, of the world in which you live in, it becomes important uh, for... uh, you know, learners and i won't say uh, only school kids because you're defined learners and you and me and mr jaipudi as well as everyone else in this thing are also learners currently go back and learn from the great traditions to which we belong and uh, do you think that uh, this lockdown uh, has actually introduced an element uh, that uh, we can use a, a hybrid model of learning uh, uh, and imbibe this uh, policy of going back to learn
3: Yeah, I I respect what you're saying, Uh, but before I go deeper into it, I still have part of my last question, which I need to answer, where we refer to the principal as the chief learning leader. So if you like, you have CFOs and CEOs, I think it's important for us to look at the principal as the chief learning leader. And once you actually find a principal, let the principal champion learning. So that's one part. Now, coming to what you were saying, I think it's good to look at it this way, that the current times if I may say, have been the best times for education to have a relook. For us as learners and educators to look into the mirror and say, are we doing enough? We were challenged to adapt. So that's exactly where human beings perform. So in this model, what you're calling hybrid, I don't think anything anything really hybrid out of it. Now learning, if you look back historically, has moved from chalk and slate to paper and pencil, to keyboard and screen. So I'm not sure whether these tools make learning hybrid or inbred or e-bred, but what really these tools help, they help you connect. And they're only a wire media between your quest for learning and the methodology which is around for you to adapt. I fully appreciate the last one year. Why? Because teachers perhaps got more time to think because they were freed from the normal school timetable they had the option to do things beyond the timetable and that's exactly where they realized the value of experiential learning that's the way i look at the current times and if you look back in history when you go back you talk of the gutenberg where the press was invented mark my words in the next 50 years 220 will be remembered as to bringing education and health to the core in the world so if you look at the last one year the companies and the entrepreneurs who have done well we have so many with us have been the ones who have actually been working with health and who are now improvising to build education learning models so if you, if you look at all the startup ecosystem today it's largely focused on health and education and that's the time we are in over to the little i
2: i think that's very interesting but you know uh... In another context, a uh, discussion that uh, I was having in the in, you know uh, classroom education was uh, described as over the top. You know, so uh, mostly you were addressing you know you were rushing to complete let's say the course because you define curriculum differently uh, the course and you you did not understand the different people and in your book you talked about the teacher needing to understand the learning ability of different. Uh, you know, uh, people in their class, and also talked about how to address some uh, other issues there. But if it is, if it is being said that over the top, don't you think that in this digital world where you are doing online classrooms, actually afford a learner and a parent to revisit the class? You see, earlier this was not possible. If you missed a class, you have to develop, you have to actually uh, use someone else's notes, right? Or if you, uh, you know, if you didn't understand. You could go back uh, and really ask the teacher. Although some schools have developed, uh, you know, WhatsApp group or some e- email things to ask questions, but don't you think that some of what uh, has actually happened in 220 as you 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 uh, you have put this years is could be mainstreamed and really you know lead to advances in in the in the whole education system.
3: Yeah, uh, what you're saying is very right, Dilip, and. You know, I sometimes get carried away on saying that, we have arrived. (laughs) that's, That's not fair though. And for the sake of taking learning forward, I think there was no better time than this. And yes, I agree with you that lot of best practices and lot of tools, which are now we are being forced to use, will perhaps become part of our life. Screen and keyboard will be here with us for the next, I would safely say 20 years. Yes, you will say that voice is coming in. I agree to an extent, but voice will still take longer time than we can think at this stage. And these tools will definitely help. I agree with you that we can actually recap a lesson on a podcast. We can recap a lesson on a video. We can actually use a lot of the education digital softwares today. I'm quite sure that as we go ahead in the next two, three years and with the current... uh, vision of a digital India. I think leaving the financial sector where we have focused in the last 20 years, the next 10 years we will have to by force work in the education space because we have kind of saturated the innovations in the financial space and other telecom spaces. So that's why we will look, look at the innovations what you're talking of and these will grow. If I had been just 10 years behind, we were always focusing on financial sector reforms and education sector reform never came up. So the financial sector reforms came up, the stock exchanges got automated. The whole lot of automation happened in the real industry of the country, which is the financial side, as well as the medical side. Education is just about catching up. And world over, education actually comes as a laggard. But perhaps this is the time for the world to realize that if you don't have good education, you'll not have anything else. And I often get tempted to say, uh, so that's where I agree with you totally that these tools and how, how we do over the top will actually help us innovate and build things ahead.
2: Thank you for that. Just before I get into the next question with you, I'd like to just request if uh, those who are viewing this and who are participating in this uh, webinar please post your uh, questions in the, in the uh, chat box uh, in the Q&A thing there and then we'll put them into uh, Sandeep uh, as we uh, go along um, so you know coming back uh, to the uh, way that you have actually uh, described it uh, in, in your book right uh, you Uh, have talked about uh, the you know in your previous answer also you talked about innovation right so uh, you mentioned uh, there that uh, you know sort of I was reminded of uh, Tony Blair and I'll take that uh, comparison here so in the West, innovation is done in research and development R&D departments in innovation it happens every corner of the street Tony Blair only said that I don't want to You know engage with india because if i give them a corner that they'll set up a shop right that was his his quote which was because they're such great entrepreneurs but you've talked about uh, innovation happening in every corner of the street Uh, so how do you as education and trainers how do you think that we can actually provide an environment that creates a free mind to design and bring about uh, uh, you know innovation a whole innovation society because if one thing we were to look at it that if 2000, the 2000 decade of 2000 to 2010 was the decade of consumption, it looks like 2020 onwards has become the uh, you know a decade of creation. Uh, given the fact that we went digital and everybody had access to YouTube, so we had a lot of you know singers, dancers, teachers, you know artists, everybody putting on uh, their things on YouTube, so others could learn. So how do you feel, and what do you feel about uh, this whole thing of innovation? and the role of schools and uh, in creating an innovation and experience you know you want to use what experiential is slightly different from innovation so what do you talk
3: about yeah uh, what you're saying right today if you look at the last four five years and i may i get tempted to mention the utter tinkering labs i get tempted to mention what you call as experiential learning is now going inside and outside the classroom I also get tempted to mention that the world is looking at Finland. Why is India looking in Finland? Because if you go to Finland, a three, four year old possibly spends more time outside the classroom than inside the classroom. So what you're saying is right, that technology is now available where we can create experiences and more important than just creating experiences. We have to let the children experiment. So there's always this confusion between experiential learning and experimental learning. I've even tried to explain that some some place in the book and what is very important and if you look back to your growing up in school or I go back to my school where we had so much opportunity beyond the school hours to actually work on innovation and design. Now, the minute the schools have now realized that the children can actually use a maker space or they can use an utter tinkering lab, I think innovation in school will be looked at very differently in the next four or five years. Yes, what is unique in this case is that the teacher should get a freer hand. Even now, a teacher does not have the free hand. The first thing a principal does in a school, give me a notebook, you how will you teach this lesson in the class. Now, that is where freedom collapses. Now, if you have appointed a teacher, give space to that teacher to go to the class and teach. Teachers should look at every child in the class, look at every moment in the class and use that and not look at a notebook and say, this is what I wrote to my principal and this is what I'm supposed to finish in the next 10 minutes. So things go wrong, we we actually don't let the teachers lead the innovation cycle. That's the challenge we face in today's classrooms you're very right when you give the tony blair example and i i feel proud to be in india because here you know jugaad is our real strength and the indian mind you you may sometimes get carried away by saying has perhaps not made anything big but if you add up what we people do and how look at the way how teachers have improvised to shoot youtubes and how tools they have used at home to actually make lessons interesting for the children which they have sent across. Yes, I agree, given a freer hand, the teachers take charge of learning. I'm a a firm believer that a school culture will only thrive when teachers lead. What we have currently in a school system is we expect the principals to lead. Yes, this is the challenge. Teachers have not seen this kind of freedom. And we have to give them this kind of freedom to lead. And that's why I keep harping day in and day out, hashtag happy teachers in today's terminology. What is hashtag happy teachers? Hashtag is a teacher who does reading, writing, and research. So teacher must get time to do reading, writing, and research. It's not fair on us to say that teacher can go home and read. No, we've already burdened the teacher enough, enough hours. We must use our existing timetable for all the four S's. There must be time for everyone to do service. There must be time for everyone to do skill. There must be time for everyone to do sport. And yes, everyone has to study. That's the way timetables and curriculums have to be rejected in schools. If I've answered your question, there they i And come back to that. But you
2: know, you you always, and in your, in your chapter of the leadership begins at top, and we referred to this earlier as the principle. Right, But you talk a lot about school boards right, and also school management committees. So would you like to share you know, your vision of how and what role the school board should play in, in your, just in the last year you asked about empowering the teachers
3: and the principals to perform. So back to you. Absolutely. See, if you look at a company, once you appoint your CEO, you let them run the company. Do we do that with the school? I don't think we do it too often. And that's exactly why what we said that in principle, a principal has to be the chief learning leader. It's important for the board to have a good governance structure. Great, I agree with that. Second, board should let the principal lead. I get carried away when I say that large number of our principals are subservient to the board i agree that there has to be governance but what is important the principal has to be treated like a ceo of a company Principal has has to have rights duties and responsibilities the governance has to be made and i give you an example i mean if i may want to share that itself when we look back the last 30 years what fab india i'm part of the fab india's trust so what we did was We said, okay, we will appoint a principal, give the principal a five-year contract and let the principal run the school. A contract with the village school principal is 17 pages long. Everything is spelt out. And the principal knows what I have to do in the next five years removed within a short span of time. And likewise, deliverables are specified. It takes a lot of hard work to reach that kind of understanding. So once that is done and the principal leads, then the principal connects with the teachers and the whole structure works in such a way that when teachers lead the school, the principal becomes their cheerleader. That's this very simple philosophy to do things right. And you have to let individuals lead. That's most important. And in schools, This is what is never done. We don't let people lead. If you look at the school management committee model, which has been as per the right to education, it only exists on paper. We just make the school management committee and file it to CBSC or or the state selection board or the state education board. This is our management committee. But does the management committee have a say in actually running the school? Yes, there must be a trust as per the Indian system of not-for-profits. The trust should only be a custodian trust should only be an asset manager if you have in your corporate sector you have an asset management company that's what the trust should be essentially after that learning should go itself on its own and the more you let people lead the more you let them actually connect with the children and stakeholders the better it will be and that's where the challenge lies
2: Uh, interesting question and it actually dovetails with the question that I was uh, going to ask but let me ask the question as it is coming from uh, one of the uh, participants uh, how can we inspire uh, within course the proven within again course experienced teachers to think beyond results and become the evaluator, the role model who can change the learner's life in other words uh, how do we balance Uh, Scoring high and experiential learning. And, you know, in one of your chapters, you've actually talked of the challenge of scoring. But I think if you can answer this question uh, and also refer to that, it might be interesting.
3: Yeah, I would just say, go play a football match with your class teacher. I've not seen too many schools where teachers actually play with the children. It's important for you to keep looking at this. That The boards today are simply for assessment. And the numbers at which the boards give are absolutely flawed. There is no best method in the world to give you a fair number to measure your learning ability. And I've got a whole chapter in the book on the assessments and how they are flawed. And I've tried to explain, given examples all over the world, that people who perhaps don't get the numbers are the better people. So what we really want is that a teacher should understand or should, t- should be able to lead you. And you should be able to connect with the teacher in terms of trust, in terms of love, in terms of simplicity. There are as many as 22 values which a teacher must experience. And those values are the ones which hold you in life. If you look at the system today, why the system is collapsing? Because the system has not created an element of trust. The system has not created an element of simplicity. The the system has not really built a value system. You look back 100 years, flashback 75 years. My father was in school. And uh, he, he went to a government school. He was a great student and his learning was fantastic. Now in today's date, I can't expect those schools to offer that kind of learning system. Yes, things have changed. Education today is at a point 4.0, like some people say, after the industrial revolution. It's important for us to understand that with time, we must look at education as an enabler and not as a burden on the system. Currently, most of us feel education is a necessity. We don't realize that the joy of learning is part of life. Every day you pick up the phone and you start browsing. You are learning. So that shows how important learning has become to you today. And that's the important part of the whole learning cycle. Yes, I keep talking about assessments and I keep talking about boards and I keep mentioning time and again that what we need to reinvent is three things. We need to reinvent governance. We need to reinvent training. And we need to reinvent learning. We need to define learning differently. Learning is not a measurement. Learning is preparing you for life. And if you are prepared as a lifelong learner, that should be the outcome of the learning cycle in a school. Yeah,
2: but you know, just to dwell on that later, that will lead me into another question. But just to take that further, you know, if you look at how schools and educational institutions advertise themselves, right? They talk about X percentage, uh, you know, scoring above let's say 95 or you know or toppers from uh, here right and everything is focused on the class 10 or class 12 marks that you've got right similarly a college would focus on the placement or you know or uh, some schools actually even go to saying how many students of them have got into iit and you know medicine or something you know, although in your school, you didn't, you, when you were a student, you did not have the choice to take the subjects that were offered to you because which you wanted to take. That's what you say in the book because they weren't offered by your school. But how do you balance this whole thing about, and even teach parents, try to look at those schools where, you know, uh, people have scored higher percentage in, let's say, the CBSE or the, uh, you know, the ISC or whatever, or, you know, I think it is. How do you balance this and how do you, actually convey that uh, to people because very difficult as a parent or someone to say okay you know I'll send my child to a school is good but not necessarily you know getting high marks
3: yeah, I give you a very simple anecdote you see the hoardings which are put up the hoardings which will say that we had so many kids in IIT and the schools which come up in ranking of the school rankings there's a disconnect so if I was to look at a particular brand's highlighting of education in schools and if I was to look at the hoardings they put up, the schools who do well in the school ranking don't actually put up the hoardings. With the numbers and the IIT grads they got in or the marks they got, those schools don't need to because the quality of education is what matters and not the scores you get in your exam. This is a very interesting thing. I repeat, you look at the hoardings and look at the schools who put up the hoardings on the other hand, go to the school performance indices, which are brought out by various private and government agencies. You will possibly find the schools higher on the index are not the ones who have put up hoardings. So, if you look at the best performing Kendriya Vidyale, they never put up a hoarding. You put, put up the best performing residential school, they never put up a hoarding. You put up the best global or international school, they don't need putting up a hoarding. They don't need want to. They, I mean, they don't. They don't have to mention that ten kids got hundred percent. It's not relevant to them. So I'm answering a question in a different way, by what is facts? Yes, I agree with you to a large extent, what needs to be corrected is the scoring methodology, that needs to be corrected. It's not important for us to correct anything else. The assessment methods seem to be corrected. And currently, if you look at the last one year, the biggest challenge online is facing is how do you assess? So I've heard umpteen number of examples in the last uh, three, four months that they're trying to do online teaching. Yes, parents are getting involved. But perhaps the definition of cheating has also changed in the last one year. So now we have to prepare for a new kind of paradigm. So the system and the process will always lag behind what happens on the ground. So that's where we don't have to look at assessments, but we have to look at how we fundamentally help children with the skills for life. And that's where education is important for us. So if you look at our 4S model, I keep repeating this. You, you you so beautifully said that you need sport every day. I said, yes, you need sport every day. But perhaps one day you need two hours of support, sport. So likewise, you may have an art class in your timetable every day. But one day you may have two hours of art. There has to be a day in the week where you can do what you want. Little more than what you can do in a normal school timetable. That's exactly what I'm referring to when I'm talking of doing service, skills, sport, and study every day. And that's the curriculum. Now, when you look at that, your whole assessment has to be addressed in a similar manner. So, when you look at the My Good School methodology, we've actually been able to assess children in personal and social development. So, when we we went to a particular school where we changed the whole uh, you know award system, we gave an award for best in service, best in skill, best in sport, best in study. We also created an award for citizenship. We created so many awards for the personal attributes and the social attributes now that's the way you can fundamentally change the assessment method methodology so when the parents figure out that the children who are personal and social better developed they will over a period of time appreciate that number game is not not all
2: yeah i think uh, thank you for that uh, answer and you know just to supplement i think you mentioned about online and the parents spending more time and new definition of cheating. I mean, okay, that's one end. But I believe that the parents with, uh, through online classes have got more appreciative of the teachers in the school and really seeing their challenge, what, uh, what they're facing. So it's been a very interesting thing. And you know, maybe even when you go back to the physical world, we should compulsory have online classes for a particular period where the parents get involved. It might, might change it. But there's a another question from the um, uh, one of the participants is saying, very happy to hear your views, like all of us are, and your approach. And uh, every new approach faces a lot of resistance from conventional society or a system.
3: Did you go through such a phase, and how did you deal with such challenges? Yeah, I, I will I will look at one particular example. Uh, yes, the biggest resistance comes from the teachers themselves so what happens is when we are going through a school culture reform they are so used to doing this thing in a comfort level that they will not accept that they are given homework to read write and research so i agree what you are saying that you do find resistance you do find challenges but i simply say the only important thing for us is to have patience so teaching is nothing but patience and you have to keep going you have to keep going relentlessly if you look at your parents, how they got the good habits in you, or who are your better teachers, whom you emulate the most is your parents. So you have to keep going. And similarly with the teachers, you have to win a teacher one by one in the school to change the way they mentor children. So I'm I'm looking at teachers as mentors. I'm not looking at them as content givers anymore teacher today as the content giver is not relevant and what the lib, we have all been talking about what has happened in the last one year last one year what has it's smart teachers and not smart classes that change the game so teachers who are agile who are willing to adapt who are willing to learn who are willing to do some deep thinking and design teachers who are willing to reinvent the way they work teachers who are willing to change themselves according to the social and cultural environment. They are the ones who will be able to help reform themselves as well as the economy around them or the entire ecosystem around them. The challenge today is teachers are stuck in a time warp sometimes I say that. And it takes a little while because they have, I I may sound sympathetic to them, but actually I'm using empathy for them. Where I feel for them, I don't sympathize for them. And what teachers are stuck because teachers have not been given the wings to fly. And if we were to give the teachers the wings to fly, everything would be sorted out. Yes, the new education policy is timely. The only thing the policy will do, it emphasizes the role of a teacher as a change maker. And that's all the policy gives us. Please don't get carried away by saying that this policy will be a total panacea of all the ills. The policy will have its challenges. We all know that. But policy has done one major thing, is that it has brought teacher to the centre. So, in your My Good School, your teacher must be the epicenter.
2: Okay, so, uh, you know, there was a follow up question which you can quickly answer, then I'll, I'll go to another topic which I had in mind. It says the National Education Policy 2020, uh, you know, accords huge priority to achieving functional literacy and numeracy by all students by grade, grade three as one of its core principles. Where, according to you, does India stand on this? critical aspect and
3: what do you think needs to be done? Yeah, that's a very good question. Now, what I really, really want to address and I want to harp here, we are talking of literacy and learning numeracy at the children's level, but we don't have standards for teachers as yet. So if we have learning standards for teachers in place, we will be at a better position. Yes, we will manage these standards of numeracy and literacy. But before that there's something known as standards of professional learning and when i study the systems the world over when i go to finland when i go to us when i go to singapore there are standards of learning laid down for teachers i'll give you a classic example of a standard of learning teachers should be able to collaborate teachers should be able to work in peers teachers should be able to generate hypothetical data from their work and their input Teachers should use that data to design and redesigning the learning cycle. Now, till we don't address this, we will not be able to reach the numbers the new education policy is talking. Yes, we will reach the numeracy numbers which you are saying. They definitely have a scientific background, but we need to address the standards of professional learning first. And if we're able to do that, then I'm sure rest is going to be easy.
2: So, you know, in your book, you, you actually take two examples, you, you know, you take this example of the room to read and the own Fab India uh, policy of uh, Dear, drop everything and read. And, you know, Sumit, yeah. uh, who actually introduced the session and the publications uh, team has launched in PIKI, Rojek Nahi Kahani, you know, in, in terms of uh, reading. So I think that's important. But you also, in your book, talk about the art of writing in school, uh, you know, and how you can actually enable that to happen. So, it'll be good if you can
3: just quickly share what you had in mind there. Yeah, Uh, you know, I simply say that you need the four C's. My four C's are very simple. You first connect, then you communicate, then you collaborate and then you create. Sorry, that's exactly the whole cycle is. is. So, CON is connect, COM is communicate, COL is collaborate and CREAT is create. So if you look at this hypothesis of connect and create, whether you are creating a piece of art in forms of writing or drawing or learning, it's important that the art of writing should not only be looked at as handwriting on pen and paper. Art of writing is power of expression and art of writing could also lead to a paradigm shift if we are able to address it at the school level. Now, the challenge today is when we are encouraging people to copy and paste, we are not letting them use their mind to write and create. So, why do you find a book very interesting? Why does the book run a film reel inside you when you are reading a book? Because there has been a phenomenal thought in the art of writing. And that's precisely what we need to encourage teachers. It's very simple to do. What we really do and what dear does uh, what Very simple. We tell the teachers that let's read the story together. And I like the vision around the story. When we create the discussion around the story, we tell kind of what they have read. When they write, we publish that. Now, when you publish something, it's like acting as a cheerleader. They see it published, they feel happy. So teachers perhaps need as much appreciation as children do. And that's where art of writing, publishing today has become very easy. So if you look at blog posts, you look at podcasts, like the lips so beautifully said, making of YouTube videos. So many teachers have become rock stars in the last six months by the videos they are making. I know teachers, they are talking in blogs. Someone mentioned to me, why don't we use radio as a means of communication and to build the art of learning? I said, radio is old hat. You have to use podcasts today. Because if you say radio, it connects children with the old world. They don't want to see a radio. If you look at a podcast, it's more contemporary. So, art of writing does not necessarily mean physical writing with pen and paper. Art of writing, when I say art of writing, is the power of expression. And that needs to be strengthened. That is the crux of the entire learning cycle.
2: And then, you know you you know you immediately uh, you know you, you after that you talk about the annual day of the school and then you go to you know uh, schools must provide knowledge and not mere information. So how do you uh, you know uh, balance that I know you have a lovely pyramid two pyramids in the book but the, but the viewers here don't have yet access in good share uh, what do you mean by that?
3: Yeah uh, see what we say if you look at the school calendar currently, it revolves around the annual day of a school. And in the book, very simple things are addressed. Why do you have an annual day in a school? Why do you have a school bell in a school? So book sometimes I get carried to say, is like Meri Kahani of a school. This is a school telling you my story. That this is what happened inside me and this is what I do for you. This is what you do for me. That's what we do in the book. And Dilip, you beautifully said, how do we do that? Now, that's an important element out of it. If you look at your annual day, the annual day comprises of a child getting the opportunity to express himself or herself. Perhaps an annual day matters to a child more than a board exam also to a large extent, because that's one day where every child can be appreciated for his skill, for his service, for his sport, as well as for his study activity. So when we make a school calendar, we normally divide it into service, skills, sport and study. We created around an ecosystem of clubs, societies and learning organizations. We connect the school with the community and other schools. We connect the schools with schools across and actually child learn how to collaborate with each other across schools and work on service, skills, sport and study. The annual day is like an end goal of the year. Now, annual day is very important in the school because this is the only day when you actually get to appreciate your child beyond just marks. So that's the beauty of an annual day where every child is appreciated. And when you appreciate every child, that's the joy of learning.
2: We have a minute left. Uh, So is there anything you'd like to convey before I uh, thank you and uh, conclude?
3: Which I have not asked you an important message in the good school. No, no. The important message in the good school is very simple. Let teachers lead. Let them be the change makers. Let them strengthen the relationship with stakeholders. That's the first message. Second, let children decide what they want to do. And please empower them, enable them to do what they want. Times have changed. We are not In the last century where we had to teach our children and be their knowledge providers or information providers today a child already has the knowledge and information he has he or she has to apply it let them apply it so important thing for us today is how do you define leadership so at the school if you look at the entire book it focuses on leadership leadership and leadership and perhaps school is the last place you think of defining as a leadership. You will define leadership as the best performing industrialists in the world. You will find leadership as a prime minister of the country. But do you define leadership as the ability of your child to be the change maker? Do you define leadership as the teacher being the biggest influencer in the child's life? That's the definition of a leadership. When that happens, schools will change.
2: So, thank you, uh, uh, Sandeep, for that. Uh, you know, those very fascinating answers to the questions that uh, were put by the audience and also uh, through this chat. But I, I, I was particularly struck by two parts in your book. Uh, the first one was, you know, where you described what the Fab India school helped teachers and students do. And you said, identify and build on the strengths, discover the leadership potential become self-directed and collaborative learners and becoming contributing members of their communities. That's what you put in the middle of your book around page uh, 84. And when you conclude, you actually says the impact of a good school, right? And which you paraphrased in your last answer, but I just wanted to, uh, because these are really the concluding words in your book. Empower students by creating an environment for their personal and social development encourages students to become involved in activities beyond just study. And this helps develop confidence, knowledge and networks. And then finally, experiential learning is a critical factor in the students progressing successfully through adolescence, but you're not actually somewhere else in the book, you talk about lifelong learning and career. So uh, thank you very much uh, for joining us this uh, afternoon and uh, sharing us with your vision of uh, My Good School. And you rightly, aptly uh, describe it as, um, you know, as uh, a kind of a uh, book which addresses uh, every aspect of a school where, you know, um, people who have invested in education, like uh, Mr. Jayapuria was sharing with us that he's really invested, uh, you know, I think the first thing you talked of, uh, 1935, is it? I I didn't. uh,
1: 1945. 1945,
2: right? So uh, that's even before I was born and before many of us were born. But with such uh, people there, uh, with experience there, I'm sure they all enjoyed uh, your uh, your this conversation. Uh, Thank you for uh, you know devoting a lifetime uh, to this space and continuing to work in this uh, uh, area. Uh, I do hope for uh, that uh, you will, as you said, that you will take this and work with others.
1: can, can I have a small question with Sandeep? I just want sure. to take two minutes.
2: Sure. sure. Sandeep, Sandeep don't gee, don't I was very much fascinated
1: fine. by the talk. I wanted to understand because you've been comparing school in terms of organization to a company's organization, wherein the principal has to be given the freedom and the flexibility to run the school. Now my question is that in a corporate, we talk about four mantras for a corporate to become from good to great. And I define these four things, mantras, is one is the data points that we have to have because the data is the new oil. Similarly, in school structure, all the datas have to be collected, gathered, refined, and then useful information has to be gathered. Second is to manage the ecosystem because you're dealing with parents, with the teachers, with the society at large, with the government regulators, and then they have to be aligned with your vision of running the school. And the third is the agility with which we have to move forward. And that we have seen in the Corona times, how the teaching has changed and how the teachers are adapted to the new philosophy. And the fourth is the design thinking. Now these being the four areas where there has to be a mindset change to convert a good organization to a great organization. Oh, what is your mantra for a good school to become a great school?
3: Yeah, you actually said, so you laid them better than the book, I would say, honestly, when you talked of data in the ecosystem. A good school is very simple in which there is diversity, inclusion and belonging for the children. Now, when this will only happen when a good school lets a child come to a school and not on basis of need. That's the first thing for a good school. So, a, chi- a school should be need-blind, I sometimes say. It. Then only you will get the best of children in your school. Second, once they come to the school, they must have the freedom to learn. Now, I keep talking about freedom to learn. Why I keep talking about this is because the school, perhaps due to its positive of time in the day, has to have a timetable. But within the timetable, we need to give flexibility. So if we look at Ramendranath Tagore and how he created the Shanti Kunch Shanti Niketan philosophy, and how the original schools in India, who all came up before independence, stood apart simply because they talked of liberal arts education. So what you're saying is right, we must have these data points, we must use the ecosystem, we must have professionalism to manage that, but we must have more experiential learning in school. That's exactly what I'm saying again and again, sir. And yes, only when you have experience will there be design. So my good school is simply mera acha school. It's an experience and experience of every child is different. Experience of every teacher is different. Experience of every parent is different. So what we are now trying to build in an open platform for the world is what we call My Good School, where all the stakeholders can actually collaborate to offer the best ecosystem for the child's growth and development. Thank you you, for that.
1: And, you know, I think, uh,
2: in, in in your section three, which is which really focuses on uh, you know uh, the the lessons for life, right? Section one of the book is in the what, why, and the how of teaching, which you covered. Redefining education and learning, we've covered. And we also covered lessons in in, in in life, you know, with the teachers, etc. But I want to just thank you and end this session with again another quote uh, from your book, right? Uh, which is that when we make a decision, we have pros and cons to consider. And every moment is unique for yourself. So best you breathe easy and decide for yourself and go along the road less traveled. So I think this is a message which I like to leave with everybody. If the idea is to create a good school, currently uh, the road less traveled, travel is well defined in his in sandeep's book my good school where passion meets education so thank you very much for actually sharing this insights with all of us and thank you all uh, thank you mr jaipuria for being with us here and you know sharing this uh, session thank you all the participants uh, who have joined and i'm sure uh, you can reach out uh, to um, uh, sandeep for any uh, questions of course if you've not bought the book please do buy the book. Uh, you can even get it even online. And do read it, uh, and also do share your thoughts uh, with uh, Sandeep and also, if you want, with Picky, so the Picky Arise team can take this forward. So keep safe, keep well, and thank you very much for joining. Over to you, Malika.
0: So...